listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 1st of June 2022. Uh, later, property prices have fallen for the first time since September 2020. That's on a monthly basis and on the national median. But first, I want to talk about the Australian share market because the S&P ASX 200 did rise today by 0.3%, 7,234. But there's a lot of attention on rising power prices and the impact it's having on businesses, both large and small, and those on the ASX, along with consumers. So for more on that, I spoke earlier with Evan Lucas from Invest Smart. Evan, what's driving the markets today? whole range of little things that are happening probably today. Look, we had a better than expected GDP. You also saw that there was a fairly flat finish to the S&P 500 last night for May. All that puts together, we actually are up about 0.2 of 1%, which is not bad because let's also point out June tends to be actually the worst month of the year in the US and it sits about the third worst month of the year here in Australia on historical numbers. So to see us sitting relatively up on a day like today where things are a little bit muted is probably a positive sign. I guess it's still all about inflation. And one of those things that's inflating um, that is rising energy prices, oil, gas, electricity. What, what kind of an impact are they having on markets and what are the follow through follow on effects? So first and foremost, it's clear where the markets you need to look. You look at the energy space over in Europe and you look at the oil space across the globe. So you saw again overnight oil markets move to the highest level they've been in two months. And then you look at the gas market in Europe and it's exploding off the back of the sanctions that Russia is now basically putting on Europe. And I think that needs to be basically said as it is, is you now have the Netherlands and Denmark to go with Poland, Bulgaria that are being shut off by the Russian oil crisis and gas crisis. So if you look at markets, those price increases are only going to get higher. And then you look at coal. Coal at the moment is is going through a level of price increase that we haven't seen since the, the, the issue around Ukraine kicked off. The supply of coal is also very much interrupted and therefore driving that price higher. So if you look at the markets, that's where you're seeing it. You're seeing it with regards to commodity prices going up. The cost of business is the next part of the market to talk about. And you're seeing the cost of actually keeping the lights on across all sectors is getting very, very expensive. You then look at energy providers that are now screaming at you that they're having to really accept a wholesale price they don't want and haven't necessarily yet handed it through to the retail consumer. And that will be the next thing is watching whether or not the wholesale price starts getting transferred through to the retail price that you and I get at our homes. So I guess speaking of providers, right, locally we saw Origin Energy today issue a profit warning as a result of this energy squeeze. What Mm -hmm. can you tell me about that and what is it likely to mean for investors? And I guess you've partially already answered what it means for consumers. Yeah, so it's a whole big thing. So when we talk about Origin, and I'll also throw AGL to some extent in here as well, is that they have what we call an upstream and a downstream business. Their upstream business is the business that actually generates the electricity. The downstream business is the business that takes that electricity and distributes it to you and I. Why it's such a problem at the moment is that they are certainly Origin told us that they're getting better prices upstream. We know that they're getting a very high price because wholesale electricity prices are high. The catch for them is that the assets they use to produce that are having massive supply interruptions. So they're erring power plant is actually struggling to stay on because of the amount of coal that they're getting from delivery is not being met. So they're actually seeing an under delivery, which means they're having to therefore offset that problem 
by going to other parts of the market like an AGL or other providers in that space and buying the electricity from them to then pass it through to you and me on their downstream business. That's why they have said today that because of the volatility in supply, because of the price increases in gas, they can't guarantee that they know where their business is going. What they also then showed is that, yes, they're doing well right now with electricity, but they're also fully aware that they're going to have to start wearing this cost, and that cost may therefore have to come on to you and me, and therefore having to increase the downstream supply cost to you and I. That means that at the meter, they're going to have to increase the, the cost of that, and therefore you're not just looking at Origin Energy, you are looking at all the other retail providers that sooner or later with all these interruptions are going to have to increase price. What does that mean for investors? Well, if you look at what we saw today from Origin, because they have no idea about where their overall earnings are going to be, they fell 14.5%. Now, caveat to that, they have jumped incredibly high off the back of all of this issue we've had around energy with the Ukraine issue, the increase in oil prices. But it shows you that even the energy providers are struggling to deal with the changes that are going through. And therefore, the investment of them is getting actually less attractive than more attractive with the higher price. Okay, so given all of that that we've spoken about, it's a higher inflationary environment, higher interest rates. In this new environment, what are the opportunities for investors? So normally when you get a high inflation environment, you've got to basically go back to basics and look at what sectors are sort of inflation immune. And what I mean by that is where are the sectors that no matter what the price we are still willing to use them. So that therefore means health, education, we've just discussed energy, and food are the four things that normally, no matter what price happens, we still have to consume because they are essential items to us. So they're the sectors that you tend to see that do quite well and are inflation immune to price. The next things are also constant providers. Engineering is a great example in industrials around that space. Engineering costs Although they might get higher, they're still required. And if you look at mining services and mining service companies, they've done quite well in that space. So that's where you normally look in the current markets when you see that high inflation. Then you also look at companies that tend to do benefit from increases in interest rates because central banks try and control inflation. And the one to look here are the banks. The banks actually get a buffer when interest rates go up. Their, their actual net interest margins that their loan books can charge gets a little bit fatter, and therefore their, their, their costs, although it's slightly higher, they actually get a bigger margin on the cash return. So watch the banks, and that's why services companies in the financial sector have actually done okay during this period. Not say it's necessarily the same every time around, but that tends to be traditionally what happens in a high inflation environment. Evan Lucas there from Invest Smart from the markets. Let's go to the economy. We've got some GDP figures from the Bureau of Statistics for the March quarter. The economy expanded by 0.8%. That is better than expected. Annual growth, 3.3%. For more on what this means and how it affects interest rates, I spoke earlier with Belinda Allen. She's a chief, uh, a senior economist at the Commonwealth Bank. Belinda, what do the GDP numbers today say about the state of the Australian economy? Well, the first quarter GDP numbers uh, really show that the Australian economy started 2022 in a bright spot. So we had GDP growth rise by 0.8% in the first quarter, taking annual growth up to 3.3%. And it was a pretty good outcome given we had most states go through a surge in Omicron cases and also we had some uh, adverse weather that really impacted on uh, the economy over the first quarter as well. So what were the key drivers of growth then? 
first and foremost, the consumer. Uh, so we continue to see really strong growth in the consumer sector, really uh, driven by a, a lift in discretionary spending. So items like transport, cars, eating or drink, drinking out and recreation were all really strong. The government sector continues to expand as well, so both spending and investment. And we also saw a, a big build-up of inventories as well, and that added to GDP over the March quarter. So for ongoing growth, how essential will the consumer be to see the economy push forward? And where will they get the money from? Because if the interest rates are rising, are they tapping into their savings and by how much? So really good question. So the consumer is the largest part of the Australian economy at around 55 to 60%. Uh, so we are obviously very concerned about what impact higher interest rates may have on the consumer. We have to remember the consumers entering this interest rate hiking cycle in a very good position. We know household savings rates have been elevated. Uh, households saved an extraordinary amount during the pandemic and have built up those buffers to really help uh, with higher interest rates. And the labour market's tight and that's now being reflective reflected in higher wages growth as well. So the consumer will still be important. We're watching our high-frequency uh, credit and debit card data here at CBA to look at any turning points for the consumer. May looks like there may have uh, consumer spending moved a little bit sideways, so we're just watching that sort of data really closely just to see how households react uh, to the interest rate cycle, which is now in full swing. Okay, so what does this data say about the ability for Australians to weather increases in interest rates? Could it mean that the RBA lifts more aggressively? Because I've seen some commentary today uh, that there's data in the GDP uh, numbers today to say that wages or average earnings are accelerating. We don't think there's anything in the GDP data today to suggest that the RBA will accelerate their pace of interest rate hikes. So we do still expect the RBA to lift by 25 basis points at its June meeting next week. We have seen a lift in uh, wages uh, across the board, uh, but we have to remember that real household disposable income is moving backwards because of the high rates of inflation. So households are still feeling the pinch in terms of negative wages growth, and although they still have very large savings buffers, uh, we'll obviously see that being drawn down over the rest of 2022. Okay, is there anything in the data that points to how the energy crisis or global inflation is flowing through to GDP? So there's two ways that we're seeing an impact from high energy prices. The first is through rising import prices because of petrol, and that's now starting to flow through into how much you and I uh, need to pay for consumer goods. But the second way we're actually seeing it is Australia is a net energy exporter. So nominal GDP growth or the, the broadest measure of income growth for the Australian economy was incredibly strong in the March quarter. It was up close to 4%, 10% over the past year. So that's going to flow through into stronger government revenue and hopefully that will flow through into budget repair rather than being added uh, back into the Australian economy and add to the already high inflation pulse in the Australian economy. 
Belinda Allen there from the Commonwealth Bank. She mentioned how she does expect, and economists at the Commonwealth Bank expect official interest rates to continue to rise. Uh, next week, the RBA meets again. Uh, it, it expects 25 basis points worth uh, of an increase, although economists at ANZ think the RBA may be a bit more aggressive, 40 basis points. But what we do know is that higher interest rates are already having an impact on the Australian property market. CoreLogic says national prices fell 0.1% in May. That's the first monthly decline since September 2020. Around the country, the biggest falls were seen in Sydney, down 1%, and Melbourne, 0.7%, followed by Canberra, a decline of 0.1%. That's for last month. There were increases for the rest of the capital cities. The best was Adelaide, up 1.8%. For a look at the housing sector, I spoke earlier with Marie Kilroy from BIS Oxford Economics. For the Sydney and Melbourne, it would be affordability. Um, that's the, the key thing that's the distinguishing factor between those and the other capital cities. For instance, Adelaide at the moment is, uh, is yeah, outperforming in um, price growth terms. Um, but it's more so is the credit conditions have tightened. So last year we've saw um, fixed rates lifting off of the back of bond rates um, that growth in bond rates, and also um, APRA having um, enacted some macroprudential policy. So essentially um, that weighs on the amount that you're actually able to borrow. So if we're starting to see some house prices fall in the major capital cities, the, the core logic data says nationally we're seeing a very small decline but prices are coming down. Where do you see the, the future for house price growth? So we expect national dwelling prices to decline around 6 to 7% peak to trough. Um, the bigger falls will obviously be in Sydney and Melbourne um, coming off um, the growth that they have seen. Um, also, they're the more indebted of the capital cities and we've now got with the cash rate already lifting, so you've got further um, uh, that weighing on the ability for those households in those cities. Um, but we do think that it would be more contained to houses rather than units. What's the message then? And I know there's different markets for different cities, right? But what's the general message for buyers and sellers at the moment? Um, well, it matters whether you're an investor or an owner-occupier um, and whether you're able to buy and sell in the same market. For investors, there is actually still some sweet spots for them to um to purchase for returns. Okay, let's talk about inflation, right? How is that impacting the cost of building a home at the moment? Well, we saw yesterday with the uh, building approval data from the ABS that now the um, average cost to build a home is now uh, around 80,000 more than it was a year ago. And we expect um, build costs to grow by in double digits for um, the next two years at least. We hear a lot about the pipeline of work out there, even though we're seeing these rising building costs, right? What kind of an impact will these costs have? Demand destruction is to be expected. Um, if established prices um, fall while the cost, um, of to, to the cost to build new goes up, um, it shifts that balance. Um, in addition, banks are more cautious um, with new builds and given the heightened risk around the sector and cost shocks and 
we do expect some builders um, may go bust um, with the higher percentage of those projects not reaching the um, break ground. So can we put all of that together, right, at the same time when we've got migration still quite low? On the flip side, I spoke to the Housing Industry Association last week where they said they've seen a reversal of the moving back home trend during COVID. So, you know, people have, have left their family home again and moved back into the city which or, or rental properties, which is one reason why the rental market is getting tight now. Given that that pipeline of work, but building costs are still high, we're seeing interest rates rising, what does this all mean for affordability? So overseas migration powers population growth in Australia. Um and it is, it is a process that is in recovery since that um, COVID shock, um, which is adding more pressure to an already tight rental market. Um, but we've actually have seen uh, a lift in household formation over this period as well, which is also adding to the stress on the rental market because it's just more households that are wanting to be taking up those rental properties. Um, so we've seen vacancy rates um, falling uh, across the board, and they are now falling in those inner city markets, which were the most hit in COVID as well. Um, and this is um, all of this competition is bidding up rents. So we see a pretty solid chance that rents should, will increase by at least 10% over the next year nationally, um, and then again the next year. Um, for own occupiers, um, with the cash rate rising. So you've got mortgage uh, repayments are also geared to take another step up. Um, on top of this, real wage growth um, is now negative. So affordability is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and Australia's not alone in this. It is There is a shortage of housing stock in many developed countries. Um, but this is going to be a major issue for all levels of government. Marie Kilroy there from BIS Oxford Economics. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.